0: We have to get our faith on this morning. We have to uh, get in the right spirit. So why don't you turn to the people around you and with your, your, best, uh, your best teammate spirit, tell someone, fight! Fight on! Go ahead. We got some coaches in the room. Come on. Who's, who can do it best? Who did it best? Who did it best? Come on we got some CrossFitters in here. Come on. Fight! Let me hear it. Fight! Yeah. One more time. Come on, who's got it? Let me hear some savagery. Fight! Fight! Calls into question what you all are fighting. Uh, All right. All right, so let me ask some related questions to get the brain juices flowing to get us warmed up. Why is life hard? Theologians of Blue Water, tell me, why is life hard? Well, maybe. Is life hard? Yeah. Life is often difficult. Why is life hard? Go. Because we sin. We bring it on ourselves. I like the early guilt-inducing answer from Ryan. That's great. Way to go. right? We mess up, and, well, that causes trouble, doesn't it? Yeah. We've all been there. We've all done it. What else? Why is life hard? Try to do the right thing. You try to do the right thing. And that makes life hard because, because the world hates the right thing. Uh, can we live in a, I don't know, what do you call it? A toxic world or A world that doesn't necessarily know uh, what's good, what's good for it, what's healthy. You know, it's like trying to get a, trying to get a kid to eat his vegetables uh, when they're little. My kids love vegetables. Um, but they don't know what's good for them. So that's valid. Yeah. Because Satan is fighting against us. Do you do you believe that? Just I mean I mean I I, I don't mean to presume. I mean really, you think there's some uh, non-human entity out there fighting against us? Because it's not popular to believe that uh, these days. That gets lampooned quite a bit. Which is to say, which is very interesting. Which is to say, well, we actually have an enemy. Right. That because the fight is forced upon us, which is really interesting when you start to think that through. Yep? There's no rest. There's no rest, says the young mom. Yep, yep. We believe, spoken with authority. Uh, which is to say, we are limited and the demands are not. Let's just put it that way, right? Uh, and so that's really interesting. Great answers. One more. Who's got the, who's got the bringing home answer? Because God wants to toughen us up, which is also... Do you think that's true? Yeah. So, so what we're saying is, life is hard because God wants it to be. True? Life's hard because we don't submit. We don't submit. So if we submitted and did everything right, then it wouldn't be hard? You no, know, you figure it? We'll just leave it there for a second, because those are very provocative questions. Right? It causes you to consider a lot of things, and I don't know about you, but I'm thinking about that question all the time. All the time. Right? That's pretty much the first question I think of every morning when I wake up. Why is this so hard? I think about my day. Why does it need to be this hard? Um, and the answer to that question and the way we respond to the answer to that question determines to great length whether or not we finish well in this life, uh, I believe. Um, Let me ask you uh, the same question, but with a spin, kind of this metaphorical uh, literary spin. What does it take to slay monsters? It's an impressionistic question. Weapons. It takes weapons to slay a monster. What else? Just... Courage. It takes courage to slay monsters. What else? Skill. Skill. Mm-hmm. You've got a weapon, you better know how to use it. What else? Persistence, because monsters, they're tough. An opportunity. That's interesting. That's a really interesting response. Uh, if you're going to slay monsters, you need an opportunity to uh, attack a monster, presumably. Well, I'm sorry, there was an answer over here somewhere. Supernatural power. We're using the word monster that might be uh, an enemy that's a bit extra, so you need a little extra power or supernatural, extra natural power. Sure. COVID. What's that? COVID. COVID. It takes COVID to <laughs> slay a monster, because we all know that COVID will take care of everything, uh, will wipe out anything. That's interesting. Uh, which is to say, maybe what maybe what Narayan meant is it will take a great shakeup. It's like like. Things get flushed out, maybe? I don't know. He's a sophisticated kid. I never know what he's thinking. Yes, in the back. Understanding what the monster is, because monster monsters can be a little exotic. Maybe you need to know how to kill a monster, what exactly it is that you're fighting against. Yes, ma'am? Help if you need it, because monsters can be tough. I think of those slave drawings where you know, like, those 20 guys with long spears are attacking one woolly mammoth you know, back in the day when uh, huge monsters roamed the earth, if you want to think of it that way. Interesting questions. Is it, is, it, is it a different question than why is life hard? Why is life hard? What does it take to kill monsters? Is that a different question? <clears throat> it goes to response, right? How do you respond to things? How do you respond to challenges in life? Well, we could take a lot of time and answer to that question: How do you respond to something trying to kill you? Slightly different responses, right? So, how do you respond to a true monster with kindness and understanding? Well, one would hope that that always works, but if you're dealing with a monster, well, you know, as most of your answers indicated, maybe you need to respond with a bit of savagery. Maybe you need to be violent in a way. Uh, in a sort. Um, there's, this, uh, there's this idea that has in some way always been popular um, since we've traced the history of philosophy and ideas and religion and things like that. Uh, but I think it often gets popular in wealthy countries or empires, which is that if you do everything well in life, then life ought to be easy. You know, and there are certainly versions of that gospel in circulation in our country today, even among Christians. If you do everything well in life, life ought to be easy, which is a philosophy that I think silly on the face of it. Because if there is anybody who did everything well in life, who was it? Was his life easy? Oh, no way. No way. So that's just like, right, that's false uh, on the face of it. Um, But undergirding that philosophy is the idea that, well, life is just about obstacles. And if you learn to navigate them really well, then your trip will be smooth. That's the idea. You just have to master the terrain of life, so to speak. But if you think that you have an enemy in life or you have enemies in life, that there are entities actually trying to destroy you, then it doesn't matter what the terrain is, right? The enemy can jump out and try to kill you at any point. So certainly, you should not expect life to be easy. There's a difference between fighting obstacles, or navigating obstacles, or overcoming obstacles, and fighting enemies, actually. And we live in a time where we have very few, like, <sighs> old-fashioned enemies, right? How many of you have had a, another human try to kill you? Well, don't answer that, but, I mean, but a handful. The answer is a handful of us, right? Maybe. Uh, we've lived in dangerous places, or fought in the military in different places, or something like that. Um, uh, but it used to be very common. You know, uh, I read some literature uh, last year. It's hard to, to track these things for obvious reasons. But in um, in non-developed cultures, which is to say, uh, you know, you might think Stone Age Neolithic cultures or unreached cultures today, people that are still living in, in jungle wilderness environments, they haven't developed any technology. The murder rate, people estimate, runs at about 14 to 15% a year for the population. Like, you know, like one in six people get killed uh, every year. This like, that was, the, that was the human condition for a long time. We've come a long way, and yay for that. Um, but the Bible teaches that still, there's a sort of, savagery that is necessary uh, for doing life well which is to say finishing well it is one of our keys to making it we're in this sermon series on finishing life well we don't just want to get started and do a few things well we want to go all the way we want to cross the finish line in life really well wherever that finish line happens to fall for us Finishing well means that we want to make it into eternal life, but we also want to have some heavenly bank when we get there. We want to have what Jesus called treasures in heaven uh, when we get there. And that since eternity lasts forever, that should be a big motivation uh, for us. And we've talked about what it takes to finish well in this life as followers of Christ. We want to navigate life well, which on balance means walking in a way that isn't overly mystical or overly non-mystical. We want to just walk with the practicalities of Scripture, and we also want to listen to the guidance of the Holy Spirit day to day. Um, We want to minister unceasingly, because life is ministry. That's what it's for. Uh, John quoted Father G. earlier, when you help someone, you become your true self. That's the only way to do it. And we have much encouragement in Scripture to minister all the time, my best tip for doing that is to always have in your life one or two non-believers you're trying to gather in to the kingdom, right? The unpopular word for that is evangelism. Uh, The popular word for that might be like influence. Like there are people out there whose hearts and spirits are dead, right? Get them into the kingdom and always have one or two persons in your life with whom you have individual relationship that you're trying to gather in. And that's my best tip, for keeping your ministry life fresh, we wanna exercise nonconformity because, as someone said earlier, the world is always trying to get you to conform to something nasty while it smiles at you. Um, so, you have to have the ability of nonconformity if you're gonna make this long term. We talked about how growing old should mean becoming more competent and skillful in kingdom ministry uh, things. We've talked about all those things, and today we're gonna talk about fighting the good fight. As Paul says, toward the end of his life, I have fought the good fight, and he's very proud of that. But to fight the good fight, you actually have to fight, right? You actually have to fight something. So we're going to talk about fighting, actually fighting, as opposed to just surviving. Um, We've had a lot of fighting in my house recently, Uh, big, big crisis. Uh, And that's because uh, we got uh, a new kitten in my house. I think, do we have a photo of uh, the new kitten? Yeah, there he is. So uh, that's my dog, Augie, who many of you know. She's 16 now, which is like 120-something. And then this is the kitten. As you can tell, the kitten is brash. The kitten doesn't care about dogs. The kitten is like, move over my pillow. Uh, And this is a kitten I found in the gutter, uh, dying. He was starving, his skeletal, just ridden with all sorts of insects and disease. And so this was like, I don't know, three weeks after we got him doing uh, very, very well. So Augie's pretty chill, although you can see above her right eye, she has a scar. (laughs) This is a kitten scar. Because kitten's rambunctious, not a bad cat, but he just doesn't know how to control himself, and he gets bored easily, and he will just run and jump on the dogs. Augie handles it really well, as you can tell, she's a good mama dog. We have another dog. And this is uh, the dog that we inherited from my late grandmother who passed away a couple years ago, Rascal. Rascal weighs three and a half pounds. At this point, the kitten is larger than Rascal. Rascal is more of a lover than a fighter. And when the kitten gets near Rascal, he screams. Some of you in my Ohana group have heard this scream. When I say scream, it's a scream. It's a scream. And Rascal got so stressed out by the proximity of this savage animal, this kitten, that he, his hair fell out. Yeah. Um, and I would, I would sit down with Rascal, and I would say, Buddy, you're going to have to learn to fight the kitten. This was a bridge too far. Uh, rascal but over about eight or nine weeks he's gradually learned to fight back uh, mostly because i didn't help him and now when the kitten uh jumps on rascal and and the kitten uh we call her xiao uh, chinese for little because he was so emaciated when we got him Um, the kitten just uses rascal for sport like ha and rascal goes ah, hair falls out in clumps (laughs) and the kitten's like i love it here Plus, they feed me. Gradually, mostly through my provocations, like, get him, get him, like, Rascal has learned to, to fight back, and his hair has finally, after eight weeks, started to grow uh, back in. So kudos for Rascal. Fight, Rascal, fight. Let's just say that. Fight, Rascal, fight. Just Bless, bless Nana's dog. Uh, they're, they're working it out. What's my point? My point is that Rascal had to learn violence to be healthy, right? Uh, Because there was savagery introduced into his world in the form of a kitten. Um, Most of us have uh, attacks that are a little more severe than a kitten, although I have scratches everywhere. Um, But the truth is, in life, if you can't fight, you're controlled. And I just think that's uh, a great bumper sticker. Uh, for anybody's uh, life car. Uh, If you can't fight, then you're controlled uh, because there is always something that will fight against you, even for sports. Um, I have an aged perspective now. I'm getting old enough that I can say, well, back in my day. Um, But I remember the 70s and I remember the 80s and there was a a revival in our country in the 70s and 80s. There's Jesus revolution, Jesus people. And I was part of a church movement where you saw a lot of people come in, and church, I think, looking back on it, was relatively easy, because I think the culture was open. There was a good side to all of the hullabaloo that happened in the 60s and 70s in our society, and it was like, no, seriously, anything goes. What's your thing? And if your thing was Jesus, they were at least willing to listen, right? And we saw a lot of good fruit from that, people with gray hair, yes? And some of you can remember if you were part of uh, the Jesus Troop back in those days. And then in the late 80s and 90s, that went away. Culture got closed again. And I'm just sharing this with you, just testimony, because I saw a huge percentage of my Christian traveling companions from the 70s and the 80s curl up and die. Because it wasn't as easy as it once was. So they had learned to be welcoming, they had learned to be generous, they had learned to be free, but they had not learned to fight when things got tough and closed. And that's just my personal testimony to how important this is. Over a long period of time, if you don't learn to be savage, you know what I mean by that? If you don't learn to be a little bit savage, you'll just get your feet taken out from under you, and you won't last. You won't last. And if nobody's ever said that before, I just wanted to say it to... To this crew, and then 20 years from now, those of us who are still here will be strong and fighting the good fight still, as Paul said. You need somebody to tell you, not simply that it's supposed to be hard, but that you're supposed to fight like a savage. You just need somebody to say that if you're going to be then, just like Rascal needed. Hey, Rascal, look, you are descended from wolves. <laughs> I don't care if the kitten is descended from tigers. Man up. Go for it. You're descended from wolves. You're descended from some of the greatest warriors who have ever walked the planet Earth. Man up. Pardon my gender bias and all that. But you get what I'm saying, right? Step up and, and, and be who you are. So let's just really quickly uh, read a couple scriptures, and then we'll call it a day. Some of my very favorite scriptures in the Bible I'm going to share today, including my life verse, which I quote all the time, so maybe you'll already know it. But here's a story from Judges chapter 3, just a, a quick 11 verses. Now, do you know what the book of Judges is? Here's what the book of Judges is. one of the books in the Old Testament, in the early books. And the entire book of Judges, the entire book is this. The Israelites have finally moved into the promised land. They have taken it. It is theirs. They have settled. Everything God promised them has come true. It's a land flowing with milk and honey and richness and all of that good stuff. And so they're in. They're who they are supposed to be, where they are supposed to be, in other words. But what happens is time passes and the Israelites drift and they get into trouble. And the entirety of the book of Judges is God re-teaching them how to fight. Because even in the perfect promised land, if you can't fight, you're going to get controlled. So uh, chapter 3 sort of puts it into synopsis for us. Uh, It's telling us the setup of of the Israelites in the promised land and how all of the enemies have been driven out except... These are the nations the Lord left in the promised land to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experiences. It's not enough to be descended of wolves. You have to practice wolfishness every once in a while. So God left enemies in the promised land in order to teach people how to be warriors, even if they never have to fight any of the large-scale wars that their ancestors did. And then it lists these guys, the five rulers of the Philistines. We heard all about the Philistines in the rest of the Old Testament, Goliath and the Philistines. Uh, So they were big. All the Canaanites, the Sidonians, the Hivites living in the Lebanon mountains from Mount Baal Hermon to Lebo Hamath, They were left to test the Israelites to see that whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which he had given their forefathers through Moses. Life is designed to be testing and hard and to ensure this God leaves enemies in the land. That's how important it is to him. That's how necessary it is for the survival of our spirits. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, dot, dot, dot. But they took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. In other words, they saw that their enemies produced cute women, and they liked that a lot. And so they watered down their culture, and they married in to the surrounding cultures and started worshiping these foreign gods that had nothing to do with the one true God. They got led around, not by their warrior's heart, but by another part, as it so often happens in world cultures. It was um, you know, sexuality that led their way to spiritual weakness. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, because that's what happens when you make peace with an enemy. They forgot the Lord their God, and they served the Baals and the Asherahs. So these were gods that were worshipped through, pardon me, through largely um, ritual orgies and sacrifice of children, like literal human sacrifice of children. So nasty, nasty practices. Um, And so, you know, quite upsetting. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel as it would. Uh, so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan uh, uh, Risathaim king of Aram Naharim, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. They became slaves. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. The spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge, which is a funny translation. It literally just means leader. Uh, and went to war. The Lord gave Kushan rishathaim king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. So the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Canaz, died. And the book of Judges is just the history of all of these warriors, these leaders that God raised up out of nowhere. This is a story about Othniel, but there's a whole list of others, because when the people forget how to fight, you know, God doesn't just come in, snap his fingers, and make it all go away. He raises up in their midst warriors. That's his way. It's like, well, is there anybody that's willing to be a warrior again? You? That's all I need, man. So go kick butt, you know, fight enemies. Uh, change culture and uh, save the kids, you know, do all that stuff. Um, be a bit of a savage, and then we'll get this thing going again. And it happens again and again and again and again and again in Israel. They forget to fight. A fighter rescues them. They forget to fight. Somebody has to step up, be a fighter, and and rescue them. If you don't fight, you're in the process of being enslaved. That's the message of the book of of Judges. And God will have to raise up some sort of fighting leader uh, to provide freedom for you again. Hopefully uh, you will realize what's going on and this happens in every generation every generation in the history of, of Israel. The Israelites had instructions and they were you know they had enemies in the land but they had instructions to be welcoming and to be assimilating in the sense that their culture was to be open to welcoming and acculturating other people but They had commands not to acculturate to godless culture. Um, So they were to be welcoming and kind and generous. They weren't commanded to be jerks, but they were surrounded by murderers. So sometimes they had to fight and be violent. And that was just part of health for them, which is really kind of surprising and interesting that God would set it up this way. They had to be capable of, well, savagery, just to choose a, a word. Of course it's written today that our enemies are not flesh and blood our enemies are you know spiritual powers of evil in the heavenly realms we have demons we have but there are still of course human henchmen and evilness in cultures and norms all those things which will take a little savagery to oppose and and i just want someone to tell you it's supposed to be a fight i mean sometimes it's supposed to be savage because I just don't want you to fall away, like so many of my friends from the 70s and 80s did. Now my life verse, I just want to read it. It's from Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11:12. 12. Easy to remember those numbers. You've probably heard me quote this over the years. I'm going to read the NIV version, because this is one of those verses that gets translated differently in every translation uh, that you read. Uh, so what's happening here is that uh, John... The Baptist has been uh, treated roughly, thrown into prison. He's making enemies wherever he goes because uh, he's a mouthy guy. And he keeps speaking to power in his culture and saying, that's immoral. Don't do that. Repent. He's a fiery dude. And, uh, and uh, John's disciples are worried because John is, you know, about to be killed. And, uh, and they come to Jesus saying, hey, you know, what's going on? Can you be of help? And Jesus essentially says, well, I'm not going to, you know, rescue John, but just go tell him that I'm the promised one and it'll be okay. That's kind of the conversation. And then he starts talking to the crowd about John the Baptist. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, uh, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. That's my verse. From the time of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. Not my favorite translation of the verse. Uh, Let me tell you kind of what it means and why I love it so much. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven, we talk about that a lot, has been forcefully advancing. Uh, the King James says, has suffereth violence. Um, other translations say um, the kingdom of heaven has been enduring violence or even being violent. Uh, that, those phrases all um, are meant to translate a single word with the, with the Greek word byatso, uh, which means uh, f- forcing or pressing uh, so literally what it says in Greek is, uh, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been pressing hard. The kingdom of heaven has been forcing hard. Right? It doesn't quite sound right in English, but it's been all about the press. Sometimes batio is just translated like violence. It's been violencing. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been violencing. Kind of what it means and forceful men lay hold of it literally what that means and the violent is what it says in greek and the violent people and the violent uh, lay hold of it is it's a reflexive phrase in, in the greek it's harpazo altis harpazo which literally means uh, the violent grip it by gripping it As if to say there's only one way to get a hold of the kingdom of God. Like you you have to take hold of it by taking hold of it, man. You get you get the spirit of it? Right? It's like you gotta up and do this, y'all. That's kind of what Jesus is saying. From the time of John, the reason I think John is so great, because he's kind of like a forerunner of this guys. And from his day until now, what we got doing, this has been a crush. This has been a violent, forceful affair. And if you want in, get in. Go for it. If you're going to get a grip, then up and get a grip. And there's a spirit of this, right? There's a little bit of, well, a little bit of savagery. It's like Jesus is saying, John, as you know, was a flippin' savage. He's about to get his head chopped off. But that's the spirit. That's what it takes. That's what this is about. This is not for the timid. And, of course, he had read the Old Testament. You know, He knew that uh, to really follow God on the earth, uh, you needed to be uh, a bit uh, violent. You know what the name Israel means? Struggles with God. God loves the spirit of force and struggle so much that even if you struggle with him, he digs it. You know, it comes from the story of Jacob wrestling with God all night in Genesis chapter 32. Do you know this story? It's one of the weirdest stories of the Old Testament. Jacob has wrestled with his brother. He's wrestled with his family. He's wrestled with all sorts of of, of con men in his life. And then finally, God comes and wrestles with him all night long. At the end of it, God essentially says, good job. Your name is no longer Jacob, heel catcher, sneak. Your name is Israel, wrestles with God. You know, like you're going to wrestle in life. Even wrestling with God is fine if you're sticking with it. (laughs) If you're sticking with it, man. Struggle, right? It's in the name. Um, So, all of that to say, I come often uh, to find these beleaguered, beleaguered kingdom soldiers. You know, you guys. And it's hard. You know, life is hard and you have enemies and you get knocked about and it's wearying because it's a press, it's a force, you know? And, and I think about, well, how best can I help you? How best can I refresh you? How best can I keep you in it? And what I have found is that sometimes the best thing I can do is just to look you in the eyes and say, it's supposed to be like this. You're not doing it wrong. You're actually doing it Right. Because we're descended from wolves. You know, like we're warriors. right? What do warriors do? Warriors fight. God has gone well out of his way to ensure that this life is full of fight. And the world wearies you by convincing you it's not supposed to be a fight. The world wearies you by convincing you that you're the problem if you think you have enemies. You know, it takes the fight out of you. And that was never the design. God has been very, very honest about this for reasons of development and you know, faith development and strength development and maturity and stuff like that. you got to fight. It's supposed to be war. And in war, all perspectives change. Everything that was once normal, no longer normal. Because it's war, people. It's war. And you just need somebody to tell you that every once in a while. You're not supposed to be popular. You're not supposed to be universally loved. You're not supposed to get along with everyone and everything. You're not supposed to be agreeable all of the time. You're a warrior. And when you slay a monster, somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose zero sum, that's okay, that's the attitude uh, that we're going to need uh, more and more uh, I think. So let's be citizen warriors, it's supposed to be a fight, remember to fight, don't be shy about it. Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war, that used to be a really popular hymn, it's fallen out of favor, um, but the war that we fight is of course uh, vital. I just wanted to remind you, I don't want anybody to fall away and the finish line might be some distance yet. So let's continue the press and uh, on be savages. Turn to somebody and say, grr.